Hey, today we are at the end of a series called Talking About God. Uh, it is based off of our good friends, Steve and Sherry Saccone's book of the same title, Talking About God. And I, I love that we're doing this series because wouldn't you agree that uh, as Christians, or for those of you that consider yourselves Jesus followers, talking about God is something that we're not really known for doing too well. Um, just a quick little recap. We start off the series by looking at, when we talk about God, what is it that we're talking about? We looked at the gospel. What is this message that we're trying to share? Um, After that, we looked at what does it look like to talk regularly in our everyday lives? And then last week, Steve came, and he talked to us about talking wisely about God and and the finesse of how to do that well. And if you're following following along, uh, you might notice that we're probably pretty much done talking about it, and they just thought it'd be really funny to throw the youth director up here at the end of the series. Um, but I think I've got a few things to say. Uh, I, I joke, but what we're talking about today, in the midst of a seemingly anti-Jesus, hostile, and post-Christian culture, what does it look like to talk boldly about God? Like I said, I I might be joking about being at the end of this series, but in reality, I'm really excited to close this one out. Because from my perspective, from my point of view, as I've looked back on my story, I feel like I'm the one who has benefited the most from people who talked about God regularly, wisely, and boldly to me my whole life. And I'm willing to bet, for those of you sitting in these seats that you probably feel the same way, that there was someone or some people who talked to you about God, and you're so thankful for that, and that's how you ended up here at Awakening. Uh, I know this is true, for me at least, because I didn't grow up with aspirations to be a pastor or a youth director or a missionary or or anything like that. Uh, In fact, being the youth director here is kind of wild to me because I didn't grow up going to youth group or anything similar. Um, In fact, uh, believe it or not, uh, most of my life, I actually didn't want anything to do with with Jesus or God-related things at all. Now, growing up, my my parents would take me and my sister to church every now and again, but here's the caveat. I hated it. I I hated it so much that uh, on Saturday evenings, I, I would go to bed and just start to dread what might happen on Sunday morning that Jesus would take captive my beautiful Sunday morning, that my mom or dad would want to go to church on Sunday. Uh, Looking back, I realized that it it, it was so terrible for me that I would actually pray to God about not going to church the next day. I'd go to bed and be like, God, please, would, would mom and dad be having a really good time at that party tonight? Maybe, like, they have an extra drink tonight and just want to sleep in a little bit. Or, or God, please help the Chargers win a couple more games so my dad will want to root for them well into the playoffs. Uh, it, it got so bad that I remember some Sunday mornings, my mom would get up before the rest of the family usually, and I would hear her from my bedroom. And if I had a feeling that she wanted to go to church, I, I would turn over in my bed, pull the covers over my head, and just wait. And she would come in, try to wake me up, and I would pretend I was sleeping. 
and I pretend that she, like no matter what she did, it wouldn't work until finally she just gave up and it was too late and we delayed the church. Um, that, that was the kind of kid I was growing up. But fast forward, I'm almost 19 years old, just moved into my dorm room at San Jose State, just put up my Taylor Swift poster, nice and neat. And then a friend that I had met, Dave, I met him during our move-ins, came to visit me in my dorm room one of those first couple days. And he came and he just wanted to get to know me. Um, and he just asked things like, man, how, how's moving in going? How was growing up, what was it like growing up in Ventura? Um, do I miss my family? And I said no, <laughs> because I'm in college now. Uh, and he really just came to, to, to get to know my story, who I was. He wanted to meet me. Um, but before he left, right after he got to know me, right before he left my dorm room, he asked one question that started to help change the rest of my life. And I realized, looking back, all, all of this stiff-arming God that I had done, all, all this apprehension to, to, to church and, and all that, it started to change in a moment with one question. I'll get back to that in a second. But at the beginning of this series, Chris gave us a definition for the gospel or this message that we're talking about. And he said, the gospel is the transformational message that God has come in our history as Jesus. And through his life, death, and resurrection, all human beings can be saved from sin and live as sons and daughters. I'll read it one more time. The gospel is the transformational message that God has come in our history as Jesus, and through his life, death, and resurrection, all human beings can be saved from sin and live as sons and daughters. And if history has told us anything, it's that this message is worth talking boldly about. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, we, we read about this man named Stephen, who was killed for preaching the gospel. We read in our history that these men that followed Jesus, that they would die deaths of martyrs for putting their faith in him. And even today, women and men are going to remote parts of the world, some of them my closest friends, places like South Asia, the Middle East, Africa, equipped only with this gospel message and with the sole purpose of talking about God boldly. And thinking about my story, when I think of that, I think of my story. I experienced firsthand the power that comes when we talk about God boldly. The, the opportunity for lives to be changed, for people's lives, the trajectory of their eternities to be changed forever, for restoration, for healing, when we simply just drop our timidity and talk about God. That we possess this message of hope and reconciliation and restoration that has been given to us, therefore we can give it to others. That's what we're dealing with this morning. And there's this passage I want to anchor ourselves in as we look at what does it look like to confidently talk about God. In a broken and hurting world, we're starved of hope. But we need to learn that we have good news and we can boldly share it. So if you've got your Bibles or your apps or you want to read along on the screen, uh, we're going to turn to Romans 10. We're going to start in verse 8, and we'll go all the way through 
uh, verse 15. And I just want to look at three things. I look at three things that Paul says about growing in this boldness. Paul writes, but what does it say? Awakening church, he's saying, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Why is it near? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's my favorite part. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who preach the good news. If you don't mind, before we go any further, would you join me in prayer? Father God, man, yes, like, like we said already, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you that we can gather and worship you and hear from you. God, we believe you still talk today. God, we don't want another inspirational message or a TED Talk or, or even good advice. God, we long to hear from you. So would you kindly push me to the side? Have your way this morning. Holy Spirit, would you guide this conversation? Would you open our ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For many Christians, I think one of the things, or a big reason why we lack the confidence to talk about God is simply because we don't know what to say. We hear the word evangelism and we get this sinking feeling in our stomach because our mind starts to race and think, oh, now I have to defend that a snake could talk. Or how do dinosaurs fit in this whole narrative, right? We get worried because in the moment we feel like we might not have the right words to say or might not know the right thing to tell. But here in this passage, Paul reminds us that it's not as difficult as we make it out to be. He, he starts by quoting an Old Testament scripture. He says, the word is near you. It's in your heart and your mouth. He goes on to say, why is it near? He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, the first point Paul's making in talking boldly about God is this that we must have faith that Jesus is enough, that that God raised him from the dead. I I can trust him. I I put my faith in him. He's he's Lord of my life now. I know him now, and that's plenty to share about. It it goes back to this first point that we made early in the series, that talking about God first starts with knowing God, knowing that Jesus is enough to share about, and I have all the tools I need to do that. You see, in high school, uh, I started to get close to a friend named Andy. Um, unlike me, he followed Jesus, and he actually had friends that followed Jesus too. 
And he was the one buddy that would always invite me to youth group. And he invited me every week, and sometimes I would pity him and say, yeah, I'll come. But I can only count on one hand the times I actually did go, but he invited me regardless. But through football practices, going to baseball games, playing Xbox, he was the first person in my life that talked about God, and I listened. And as I look back and wondering why, I realized it's because Andy had faith that Jesus was enough. See, he ha- it was really simple the way he shared about God with me. He talked about what God was teaching him, what he was reading, what he was learning, what steps of faith he wanted to take because Jesus was changing his life. And he asked me about my life and he genuinely cared about mine too. It's really funny because that same friend Andy, we were hanging out in a group one day and one of his church buddies came up to me, probably assuming I was a Christian already, but... Uh, they ask something along the lines like, how's your relationship with God or Jesus, something like that, or, or what are you learning? And like any insecure 15-year-old, you know what I did, right? I lied. <laughs> yeah, I lied. Uh, I started to, fa- I raced in my mind, I panicked. I was like, I-, I need to fabricate a relationship with God. So I-, I started to open my mouth, and I know how to buy time. I was like, well, uh, let me think. Well, first off, uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible is definitely John. It's a good one. Um, Genesis is really good, too. Um, so what's God teaching me? That, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I haven't sinned in a while, so God's not really teaching me much right now. <laughs> Awkward, right? <laughs> See, that, that's the thing. It, it's to share about God. We, we, must, we must first know God. Uh, the temptation to think, <clears throat> the, te- the temptation is to think uh, that we don't have the stories with the drugs and the rock and roll and the alcohol and whatever, and therefore we don't have these stories worth sharing about. But don't get me wrong, I was a wayward teenager with a wicked, wicked heart, but, or with a wicked heart and with an apathy towards God. That was it. That, that was my story. <laughs> But if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, you have enough. It reminds me of this one story of this woman who meets Jesus in the Gospel of John. She meets him, realizes he is who he says he is. He's the Lord of all. He is worth her leaving everything behind and following him. And she puts her her faith in him. And she goes back to her hometown, and this is what she says. She says, he told me all that I ever did. And then the text says, John 4.39, many Samaritans from that, from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Do you remember what it was? He told me all that I ever did. You see, friends, it's that simple to share boldly about God. It's, this is how God has changed my life. This is how God's changing my life right now, even. I'm in seminary right now, and the temptation to, well, well, what I've been doing more recently, if, if I could be completely honest with you guys, is um, talking about God is really a good way for me to talk about what I'm learning. Um, and it's more than that, it actually becomes a little more insidious. Um, talking about God ends up becoming talking about Roland. Um, and I do such a disservice to other people sometimes. 
Because I, I so often, more than I care to admit and more than I want to, want to complicate this idea that faith in Jesus is enough. Some of you might know that I'm getting married this July, right? Thank you. We're excited. <laughs> um, some of you might know we're getting married this July. And um, last weekend, I had one of those moments with Ari and her family where I realized, it's like, wow, I'm marrying up. Like, I'm winning this one. <laughs> uh, last, last weekend, after church, we, we raced to Roseville, hopped in the car, um, because Ari's little sister, Addie, seven, year old, seven years old, was getting baptized at church that day. Do we have the picture? There they are. Um, she was getting baptized that day. Um, so Ari and I wanted to come support her, um, and we made it just in time to, to be part of the service. And there was Addie in her little bathing suit and, and shorts, getting ready to get baptized. But before all the baptisms started to happen, the, the pastor is standing up there, and he asks, does, does anyone want to share why they're getting baptized today? So there goes little Addie walking up to the microphone, and the pastor bends down, shares with her the microphone, and, and just asks, Addison, why do you want to get baptized today? And this is what she said. I love Jesus enough to believe in him and have my sins washed off. This little seven-year-old, remember, I love Jesus enough to believe in him and have my sins washed off. There was not a single dry eye in that service. It was incredible to see the simplicity of the gospel that a seven-year-old understands. We saw from Bennett and Lauren, they understand what the gospel is. We tend to overcomplicate it. And I've been around church enough to know that we, myself included, like to excuse ourselves from, from sharing about Jesus or, or talking about God. Uh, we end up saying things like, yeah, talking about God's just for those outgoing types or, or, or just for those really Christian Christians or, or it's just for pastors or, or for people like Tim Tebow, right? But, but here's the beauty about Christian boldness. But boldness in talking about God, first off, it's not a temperament. It's not a personality type. And it's not even, it, comes, it doesn't even come from a head knowledge. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Why does it come from God? Because of the gospel. And simply, boiled down, it is that Jesus is enough. At the beginning of this letter that Paul writes to the Romans, he says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's power in the gospel. There's power in the gospel changing your lives. Again, friends, to talk boldly about God, about Jesus, we we must believe that he is enough. Uh, The second thing that Paul shares with us to, to grow in this boldness is that we must have faith that Jesus is for all. Uh, He writes, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My emphasis might help, but notice the language of inclusivity. 
Notice that it spans cultures. That this gospel, this message is for everyone. If I'm going to be honest, especially before I was a Christian, um, if I had to picture what Christians look like or what, or what a Christian was, um, and this is probably how much of our society today thinks what a Christian is, this is probably, this is what I pictured. Uh, usually, they're old, uh, they're white, uh, they're boring, um, and they're usually male. And sometimes they have a southern accent. But... Let me standing before you help shatter some of those stereotypes. And also, if you, if you fit most of those categories, don't worry, God still loves you. <laughs> but this is what breaks my heart, is that for a lot of people in our lives, that's what they see. And, and more than that, this is what they think, that Jesus is only reserved for a certain type of person. And we know from script, Scripture And Jesus tells us that simply is not true. We must have faith that Jesus is for all. Notice that Paul makes a switch in the order. He first references the heart and then the mouth. Why? Because if you've set your faith in in the true gospel, if this is what your heart is on, the gospel that is the transformational message that God has come in our history as Jesus and through his life, death, and resurrection— all human beings can be saved from sin and live as sons and daughters, then that's what's going to flow through your mouth. That's what you're going to be excited about. That's what you're going to share about. Uh, for many in, our, in the circles we run in, for many of the people we know, the Christian message, the story of Jesus, the gospel has been hijacked. It's been politicized. It's been used for prosperity It's been marred. What many people believe the gospel is, it's actually unrecognizable for a lot of us. It doesn't doesn't match up with what we talk about and what we sing about on a Sunday or in our MCs or when we look at Jesus. Uh, If we were to let the news or social social media um, or movies or, or cartoons define for us who belongs to Jesus, we'd probably walk away with a list that we'd say Jesus is just for Americans or Western culture or for hate groups or our grandparents. That that's, what we would, that's what the message is that we hear about, that that's who Jesus is for. And for many people in our lives, trying to explain the Christian message, it, it just doesn't sound right. Am I right? I was probably eight or nine when my grandma came to take care of me and my sister uh, and live with us for a few weeks. Uh, both of my parents worked full-time jobs, so they were pretty busy. And um, believe it or not, I was a handful as a child. Um, so my, my, my grandma came to help out for a little bit. And one day, uh, my mom thought it would be a great idea and a good use of time for my grandma to take me to the barber shop. Um, and I was super excited. Let me tell you why I was excited. Because when I was in kindergarten, got a haircut, um, showed up to school the next day, sat down. Girl sitting next to me looks over. She's like, you got a haircut. Looks cute. And from that moment on, I loved getting haircuts. <laughs> so, there, so there my grandma is, packed us in the car. I'm excited to start looking super fly again. Um, we get to the barber shop. 
plop myself in that nice, comfy barber chair, dreaming of what eight-year-old pickup lines I could have dreamt of. Um, and my grandma's talking to the barber. And I remember just hearing part of it. And she's like, oh, a little context. My grandma, uh, she was born and raised in the Philippines. Um, she didn't move here until late into her 30s. Um, she, so she never had to take one of her boys uh, to go get a haircut in the States until now. Back to the story. So I'm sitting in that barber's chair. Grandma's talking to the barber. And in, in the most Filipino accent, and I don't do it enough justice, um, she says, a number two, a number two. And I was like, that doesn't, that kind of sounds right. That doesn't sound entirely right. But whatever, grandma knows what she's doing. Um, and goes on, and the barber's like, okay, got it. So he puts this number two blade on his razor, and in the most dramatic fashion, and I still don't know why he started here, but he shaves down the middle of my head. <laughs> and I just sat there mortified as he finished the job. You see, my grandma thought a number two was like a hairstyle. Like, oh, yeah, today we'll get a number five. Like a value menu, right, at McDonald's. <laughs> that's what she thought she was doing when she said a number two. In reality, that's, that's just like the guard on clippers for how short you want your hair. And I realized in that moment, I realized a very valuable lesson. It was in that moment, as he started to shave all of my beautiful hair off, <laughs> that if I had something important to share, or knew that something needed to be said, it was probably a good idea to say it. And doesn't this happen all the time when we talk about God? When other people in our lives, for, much of the, the, for, for most of the Silicon Valley, when people talk about Jesus or the church, they say things like, the church is just full of greedy people. Or the church just helps perpetuate sexism. Or the church is just an oppressive institution for power-hungry people. That's what people think. That's what people say. But that's not the church I know. That's not the Jesus I follow. It, it just doesn't sound right. Amen? Let, let's just take those few examples for a moment. Well, we know that greed is wrong. Why don't we say anything about it? Because when I look at Jesus, I see the God who cares deeply for the poor. I see a man who teaches that uh, all this stuff that we accumulate will eventually be a slave to it. That he says you can't serve both God and money. That, that when uh, they turned the temple into a place where they would trade and make money, Jesus got upset. He said, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. He turned tables. And we know that the church should lead against sexism and misogyny is wrong. Why don't we speak up about it? Because when I look at Jesus... I see the God who walked the earth in a time where women were the second-class gender, where he was the first to publicly give them the honor and dignity that they deserved, that the first people to see Jesus after his resurrection were actually women. So the spreading of his gospel that Jesus has risen was actually two women really important. And why? Because women like men, are made in the image of God. 
And last, in a, in a time where we're so apprehensive to, um, to, to people with power and to all this about the church being oppressive, uh, we need to speak up about that. Because when I look at Jesus, I see the creator of the universe, the God who became man, the one with all authority and power, humbling himself and walking among us. That he talked about the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That he lived this. That he washed his disciples' feet when no one else would. A task reserved for slaves. That he let mere men exercise power over him. Belittle, berate, mock him, crucify him. He gave up all that power and authority. Why? So that he would die for his enemies. So that he would make a way for us to know God. See, this, this is, these are gospel issues. It's not just social or whatever issues. These are the things that God cares about. This is how pervasive and expansive the gospel is. It's all-encompassing, all-consuming until all things are made new. These are gospel issues. This is the Jesus we serve, we follow, and we love. To talk boldly about God, we must have faith that Jesus is for all. And lastly, Paul shares, to, to grow in this boldness, Paul says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. How beautiful are those feet. When it comes to talking boldly about God, we must have faith that Jesus will use you, that Jesus will use you right now. Um, Because when I first read this, I think I started to understand the reality that we live in. How are people to know unless we tell them about Jesus? That that I, I realized for myself, I know Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. I need to go. I need to share. These people in my life, how are they going to know without me, without me taking a step of faith that Jesus will use me? You see, Christianity or, or following Jesus, it's not an inactive faith. It's actually a faith in action. The, the reality of the situation is that Jesus wants to use you now, not when you feel like you've had it put all together, um, we need to be talking boldly about God in that, in the midst of our hurt, when we feel betrayed, when we're hurt by others, when we doubt. In fact, some of those setbacks are really just God's way of setting you up to talk boldly about him. Is anybody still wondering what that one question was that Dave asked me? Before I, I share that, it, isn't it kind of uncomfortable to live or to, to have no resolve to that story that I, that I started 15 minutes ago? You, you see, what I've learned is that for many people, I am the only Christian in their lives. You are probably the only Christian in a lot of people's lives. That, especially what I've learned uh, being the youth director here, for my students, I'm like the Jesus guy to them. 
When we're hanging out and I ask about God, it makes sense that I'm going to talk about God. And if we're to say that Jesus is Lord, that, that we follow him and not talk about God, we're actually doing people a disservice. It's like living in an unresolved story. Right before Dave walked out of my room, making his way out, probably complimented me on my Taylor Swift poster, uh, he, he turns around, stops at the doorway, and he asks this one question. Do you want to come to Bible study at 6.30 tomorrow night? That was it. It was that simple. But Dave boldly talking about God in that moment led to me coming to that Bible study. It, it led to weeks of me learning about who Jesus was, the one that I thought I knew about. That for the first time with other Christian guys, or with other college guys, learning about God, I heard this. Uh, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's a gift by God, not by works so that no one could boast. See, Dave asking that one simple question led me to just an, another ordinary night in my dorm room. I, I started to meet the real Jesus and see, see who this was. And one night in my dorm room, my two roommates went out to a party. I decided I'd stay back that night. And I just started to think about this Jesus I was learning about, the gospel message that I'd been hearing. And in that dorm room, I just said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I'm going to follow you. If you tell me to jump, I'm going to say, how high? Because you're worth it. I know the beauty of your message now. And that's worth following. And what's really cool is, is as a student who walked onto that San Jose State campus, not knowing Jesus, I would get to go on and get to be discipled and mentored and supported by people like Gabe and Jess, to, to go to summer missions trips uh, to Santa Monica, to South Asia, to Haiti. Uh, I got to start serving here at Awakening in our, in our preschool classrooms. Yeah, give it up. Summer to serve. Don't forget. <laughs> uh, and get this. This is my favorite part. As a freshman who walked in not knowing God, not knowing Jesus, by the end of my senior year, at the end of it, I stood in this newly built student, uh, student union theater, packed out with hundreds of students, who came just to hear about Jesus and my story. Wild. Um, and I'm going to invite the band up as I move towards my clothes. But what Dave didn't know that day when he met me in my dorm room is that I had a friend, Andy, who had been talking to me about God and piqued my interest in Jesus. Uh, that day he didn't know that... Um, I applied to, trust me, a lot of different schools, and I only got accepted to San Jose State. And because procrastination is a gene that I will live the rest of my life with, uh, I got stuck in one of the crummier dorm rooms, Washburn Hall. Um, all that for this one moment, for Dave to happen to be in this building, coming to talk to me, and to invite me to this Bible study. And I just wonder 
when I think of all that, what would have happened if Dave chose not to speak boldly about God that day? It would have been really easy, right? We could have just shot the breeze and it would have been all good. But what would have happened? And it makes me wonder for us, how many micro moments with others do we live in? How many do we get to be a part of? How many seemingly small and insignificant insignificant conversations do we get to have in our workplaces, with our neighbors, with our friends, on our campuses, with our families? Like I said, for, for a lot of these people, for much of that list, you are the only one that has good news. And I can't promise you, we don't know what would happen if you spoke boldly about God, but we do know one thing, that you will have beautiful feet. In what is commonly known as the Great Commission, Jesus, after his resurrection, speaking with his followers, this is his parting words, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus has sent you. Jesus is sending you. People are desperately waiting in this broken and hurting world, starved of hope, for you to talk boldly about God. So, are you going to have faith that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is for all, and that Jesus will use you?